Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning. Nice to see you guys. It is only 75 degrees outside, but it's 80% humidity. We're getting things mixed up here. Supposed to be low humidity and low temperature, but it's not that way yet. We are in Ezekiel 16 and 17 this morning. If you can find your way there, 2 Timothy 2. Got some um, more prophecies against Jerusalem for sure. So Father, we thank you for this morning and waking us up, giving us this time with you. As we go about our day, God, may you allow us to meditate on at least a single truth or something that we we can take with us today so we can marvel at the God we serve, know the, the reality that you are alive and active in our world, and that we have a God whom we can look to and trust and, um, and wait upon to bring in blessings when we are... Uh, when we are walking with you faithfully, and and sometimes to also bring in correction when we need it, like a loving parent would. So, Father, we ask that you would guide us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel 16. God's grace to unfaithful Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say thus, says the Lord God of Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite, and your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in clothes. No, I looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you. To have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, or you were abhorred on the day you were born. When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous, like the plants of the field. Then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age of fine adornment. Your breasts were formed, and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of porpoise skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. 
and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame went forth from among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your fame, and you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. You took some of the clothes made for yourself, high places of various colors, and played the harlot on them, which should never come about nor happen. You also took your beautiful jewels made of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself male images that you might play the harlot with them. Then you took your embroidered cloth and covered them and offered my oil and my incense before them. Also my bread, which you gave, fine flour, oil, and honey, with which I fed you, you would offer before them as a soothing aroma. So it happened, declares the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters, whom you had borne to me, and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotries so small a matter? Verse 21, you slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Besides all your abominations and harlotries, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and squirming in your blood. Then it came about, draw your wickedness. Woe, woe to you, declares the Lord God, that you built yourself a shrine and made yourself a high place in every square. You built yourself a high place at the top of every street and made your beauty abominable, and you spread your legs to every passerby to multiply your harlotries. Verse 26, you also played the harlot with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, and multiplied your harlotry to make me angry. Behold, now I have stretched out my hand against you and diminished your rations, and I delivered you up to the desire of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines, who are ashamed of your lewd conduct. Moreover, you played the harlot with the Assyrians, because you were not satisfied. You played the harlot with them, and still were not satisfied. You also multiplied your harlotries with the land of merchants, Chaldea, yet even with this you were not satisfied. How languishing is your heart, declares the Lord God, while you do all these things, the actions of a bold-faced harlot. When you built your shrine at the beginning of every street and made your high places in every square, in disdaining money, were you not like a harlot? You, adulterous wife, who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. Thus you are different from those women in your harlotries in that no one plays the harlot as you do because you give money and no money is given to you, thus you are different. Therefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Because your lewdness was poured out, and your nakedness uncovered through your harlotries with your lovers, and with all your detestable idols, and because of the blood of your sons which you gave to idols, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, even all those whom you loved, and all those whom you hated. So I will gather them against you from every direction, and expose your nakedness to them, that they may see all your nakedness. Thus I will judge you like women commit adultery or shed blood are judged, and I will bring on you the blood of wrath and jealousy. I will also give you into the hands of your lovers, 
and they will tear down your shrines, demolish your high places, strip you of your clothing, take away your jewels, and will leave you naked and bare. They will incite a crowd against you, and they will stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords. Verse 41, they'll burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. Then I will stop you from playing the harlot, and you will also no longer pay for your lovers. So I will calm the fury against you, and my jealousy will depart from you, and I will be pacified and angry no more, because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me by all these things. Behold, I, in turn, will bring your conduct down on your head, declares the Lord God, so that you will not commit this lewdness on top of all your other abominations. Behold, everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb concerning you, saying, Like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and children. You are also the sister of your sisters who loathe their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite, your father an Amorite. Now, your older sister is Samaria, who lives north of you with her daughters. And your younger sister, who lives south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Yet you have not merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations, but as if that were too little, you acted more corruptly in all your conduct than they. As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Thus, they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Furthermore, Samaria did not commit half of your sins, for you have multiplied your abominations more than they. Thus you have made your sisters appear righteous by all your abominations which you have committed. Also, bear your disgrace in that you have made judgment favorable for your sisters because of your sins in which you acted more abominably than they. They are more in the right than you. Yes, be also ashamed and bear your disgrace in that you made your sisters appear righteous. Nevertheless, I will restore their captivity, captivity of Sodom and her daughters, the captivity of Samaria and her daughters, along with them your own captivity, in order that you may bear your humiliation and feel ashamed for all that you have done when you become a consolation to them. Verse 55, your sisters Sodom with her daughters and Samaria with her daughters will return to their former state and you with your daughters will also return to your former state. As the name of your sister Sodom was not heard from your lips in your day of pride before your wickedness was uncovered. So now you have become the reproach of the daughters of Edom and all who were around her of the daughters of the Philistines, those surrounding you despise you. You have borne the penalty of your lewdness and abominations, the Lord declares. But thus says the Lord God, I will also do with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath by breaking the covenant. 60. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your covenant. Thus I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, so that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your humiliation. 
When I have forgiven you for all that you have done, the Lord God declares. Chapter 17. Okay, moving on. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, propound a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord God, a great eagle, great wings, long pinions, and full plumage of many colors came to Lebanon and took away the top of the cedar. He plucked off the topmost of its young twigs and brought it to the land of merchants. He set it in the city of traders. He also took some of the seed of the land and planted it in the fertile soil. He placed it beside abundant waters, and he set it like a willow. Then it sprouted, and it became a low-spreading vine with its branches towards him. But its roots remained under it, so it became a vine and yielded shoots and sent out branches. But there was another great eagle with great wings and much plumage, And behold, this vine bent its roots towards him and sent out its branches towards him from the beds where it was planted that he might water it. It was planted in good soil because of the abundant waters that it might yield branches and bear fruit and become a splendid vine. Thus says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots and cut off its fruit so that it may wither, so that all its sprouting leaves wither? And neither by great strength nor by many peoples can it be raised from its roots again. Verse 10, behold, though it is planted, will it thrive? Will it not completely wither as soon as the east wind strikes it, whether on the beds where it grew? 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Do you not know what these things mean? Say, Behold, the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem, took its king and its princes, and brought them to him in Babylon. They took one of the royal family and made a covenant with him, putting him under an oath. He also took away the mighty of the land, that the kingdom might be in subjection, not exalting itself, but keeping his covenant, that it might continue. Verse 15, But he rebelled against him by sending his envoys to Egypt, that they might give him horses and many troops. Will he succeed? Will he who does such things escape? Can he indeed break the covenant? and escape. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely in the country of the king who put him on the throne, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke in Babylon, he shall die. Verse 17, Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company will not help him in the war when they cast up ramps and build siege walls to cut off many lives. Now he despised the oath by breaking the covenant. And behold, he pledged his allegiance, yet did all these things. He shall not escape. Thus, therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath, which he despised, my covenant, which he broke, I will inflict on his own head. I will spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare. Then I will bring him to Babylon and enter into judgment with him there regarding the unfaithful act which he has committed against me. Verse 21, all the choice men and all of his troops will fall by the sword and the survivors will be scattered to every wind and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. Verse 22, thus says the Lord God, I will also take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and set it out. I will pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On a high mountain of Israel, I will plant it that it may bring forth boughs and bear fruit and become a stately cedar. And birds of every kind will nest under it, and they will nest in the shade of its branches All the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I will bring down the high tree, exalt the low tree, dry up the green tree, and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. 
I will perform it. Well, that's a, a nice ending. The, I think you can see all the analogies there. I, again, a long chapter 16 there. Uh, speaking of the unfaithfulness of Israel, pretty straight out. I, I mean, in the most graphic sense, she was just completely immoral and, and wanted to commit idolatry with every nation and pay for it. And pretty horrible. Now, in the next chapter, 17, we see all these, these images these, of, of the eagle of Babylon coming and taking away the king that, uh, that was Jehoiachin back in the captivity. And then they plant um, Zedekiah, I think. Memory serves. I don't remember. But he, they plant him as the king. This year. Then he grows up, and he's supposed to be loyal to, to Babylon. And he rebels and looks to Egypt for help to fight against um, Babylon. And Egypt doesn't do anything. And so he's taken away, and he's promised that he's going to die there. And he dies there because rather than looking uh, or, or seeking the Lord and asking God to help and protect them, he looked with the help of man in Egypt. And God says, why did you do that? And, and I believe it was Jeremiah that prophesied, you know, don't do this. Don't do this. If you do this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bite you. So those, those are the, um, the issues going on, unfaithfulness and untrusting. And, and God had taken her as, as, as nothing, a discarded, bloody baby, and, and said live, brought her up as a nation, and, and even brought her out of slavery when she was worthless, and lavished upon her gold and jewels and riches. And that you can get the imagery of bringing all the, Israel all the way up to the time of Solomon, when all the nations around saw Israel and said, wow, there's no other richer, more glorious, and splendorous nation ever on the earth. Yet they said, I, I don't want to remember my youth. I won't remember what you've done for me, God. I don't, nah, forget that. What do you mean you rescued me as an unwanted baby? That's ridiculous. And certainly the, the illustration, and certainly the, what we can gain from this is remember from where you've come from. Remember we were all essentially like Israel, um, it is the God's hand of mercy and grace that came upon us and washed us and clothed us with his righteousness and has made us sons and heirs of the king. And we have, we have honor, we have position, and we should remember that. Even though we might be going through difficult times, I mean, obviously Israel was going through difficult times for their own sin, but even in difficult times, remember how God first took us and clothed us and washed us and thank him for it. And, and then in that humility, he can continue to build us up and bless us. Second Timothy 2, be strong. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be first to receive his share of the crops. 
Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things. And solemnly charge them in all the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are... Himenuas and Alitas, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood, of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to his master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pleasure and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. I would love to know what kind of heresies were going on exactly in Ephesus and what Paul was talking to Timothy about. We know that the false teachers were there trashing Paul, saying that Paul wasn't really, he wasn't a real apostle, he didn't walk with Jesus, and they shouldn't listen to Paul, they should listen to him. But, But they had these weird arguments. We know two of them were saying that the resurrection had already taken place. Now, how do you, how do you make that claim? Uh, they didn't, weren't seeing Jesus physically, and they obviously weren't in perfect bodies and fully strong with no symptoms of any kind of aging or disease. So I can only guess that their, their logic was something along the line that we've been resurrected spiritually. We are now, because we have the Holy Spirit, we've been resurrected we've come up from the grave with jesus and now we're alive in christ and so we can claim our resurrection and and probably kind of dismissing a literal physical resurrection that was to come when jesus came back and of course if you're going to reject that you're probably going to reject the physical return of christ and you're probably going to um kind of allegorize everything and this was the age of the gnostics that were doing this kind of thing 
everything becomes allegorized and a, and a mystery and and um and of course that would lead people into following their line of reasoning and follow after them to to get them to interpret what the bible is saying and paul's telling timothy don't listen to these guys and you just be faithful to teach in the word don't enter into all these arguments these worthless discussions uh, in a sense Maybe saying, you know, you don't have to go try and prove to anybody that the resurrection is a physical resurrection and it's really going to take place sometime in the future. Just teach the word. The resurrection is coming, and Jesus is firstborn. He did raise physically from the dead, um, <laughs> and he's coming again. And if people don't want to believe it, they don't want to believe it, but but stay faithful. And I like the, this whole concept of not entering into these fruitless arguments because we get bound up with so many arguments and people want to argue the rapture. They want to argue, you know, the second coming. And I, I there, for some reason, I understand, but people that believe that, that the um, second coming of, I'm seeing Jesus coming for the church, the rapture will be at the very end of the seven years. And they believe this, you know, that he's going to come back for the church, you know, three microseconds before his second coming, he's going to say, come on up here. And then we, we're raptured and then turn around and jump on our horse and come right back. If that's what they see in Scripture, that's fine. What What's weird to me is how they get so upset, and I mean and, and nasty and, and mean against anybody that is a, takes a pre-trib um, standpoint, saying, no, we believe that we're not destined for wrath. We're the bride of Christ, and God's going to come for us. Jesus is going to come for us before the seven years. And they say anybody who says that, is worse than an infidel that we're causing the church to fall into sin because we're looking at life through rose-colored glasses and we should be preparing for the tribulation. And whatever the reasoning is, doesn't matter. It's the fact that they want to argue and um, and I they've made statements like pre-tribulation people are like the worst sinners around. They they um, were enemies against the church or they make all kinds of weird statements like that. And it's uh, not salvific as we call it it's not a salvation issue so i'm fine with anybody's position on the rapture and when christ's going to come back if that's what they see and that's where they're convinced of what we should do if we're in a church where we don't hold that same position is well the two options leave that church but um fellowship and love the brethren we're all going to be together and that that includes baptism. Some people believe are hung up this idea that baptism is linked to salvation. A tricky theological point that you must, that your baptism will bring you salvation rather than your baptism confirming your salvation. And they like to argue over that. Eh. Paul says, guys, just don't enter into fruitless arguments. You want to argue with someone, do it with gentleness and respect, but it should be along the lines of central core doctrine of salvation. Someone wants to argue with you that their works save them and not faith through Jesus Christ. Now that is something you can enter into because you care about that person. You want them to come to heaven. You want them not to be deceived. You know they're deceived. The same thing with the LGBTQ people that say God approves of everything we do and God is fine and I have nothing to worry about. 
and I am not going to change. I'm going to redefine the Bible according to my own beliefs. Then that's a discussion that you can enter into in love and show them what the word says. In other words, teach the word. That's what Paul's saying. Teach the word and let the Lord do the rest. And people can ex- receive what they want to receive. But our, our job is to not not change the word of God to meet the <laughs> sinful demands of the, of the culture we live in. We cannot compromise the truth. Simple as that. And that's what Paul's saying even back in the day where Timothy was pastoring over church. Charles Spurgeon, now look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Isaiah 45, 22. This is a promise of promises. It lies at the foundation of our spiritual life. Salvation comes through a look at him who is a just God and a savior. How simple is the direction? Look unto me. How reasonable is the requirement? Surely the creature should look to the creator. We have looked elsewhere long enough. It is time that we look alone to him who invites our expectation and promises to give us his salvation. Only a look. Will we not look at once? We are to bring nothing in ourselves but to look outward and upward to our Lord on his throne, whether he has gone from the cross. A look requires no preparation, no violent effort. It needs neither wit nor wisdom, wealth nor strength. All that we need is in the Lord our God. And if we look to him for everything, that everything shall be ours and we shall be saved. Come, far off ones, look hither. Ye ends of the earth, turn your eyes this way. As from the furthest regions men may see the sun and enjoy its light, so you who lie in death's borders at the very gates of hell may by a look receive the light of God, the life of heaven, the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God and therefore able to save. Can't get any better than that. Father, we do look to you and we thank you. As our Lord, Creator, God, as Savior, as Holy Spirit, we understand power of the cross was because that you were the one who created the cross. You created all things. You created the world. You created God, the order of the universe. And you have the power to conquer death and to subdue nations and to conquer over all sin and free the captive. We thank you, God, you have the power to bring us into eternal life and to give us resurrected, glorified bodies. And we do wait expectantly for that to come. We thank you for it, God. We patiently await you in a time of great turmoil in our world. And Father, I would ask that in this time, you help those in the eastern countries come to know this truth about you and to look to you from death's door as so many are, are living on the very edge of eternity and fighting a war, and, the, and even the hostages that know every day, every single day could be their last waiting to see if they're going to be rescued or murdered. Father, my, my prayer is that you would go out to them, that your spirit would minister to them, that they would see visions, they would have dreams, the idea of soldiers, and even the Palestinian people would receive supernaturally the word of life, and they would come to know you and be humbled by you and come to know the God who created them and not be enslaved to the deception of these false teachers in the world. So we thank you for the work you are doing. Continue to do it, God. Do it, and do it quickly. Bring this war to an end. Thank you for those that you are 
building up in our church here and for the work you're doing. I ask you to help prepare the uh, conference centers. They had a lot of construction left to do. I pray that you would help them get their power restored, everything built, and everybody that's sick down there get well, and that it would all come together for this conference coming up. So thank you, Father, for that. Thank you what you're doing there and your continued blessing on the caster lines as they're still trying to get recuperate their health and uh, their economic status, trying to f- get back and working as much as they can. So God, just a special blessing on that family. Thank you for our day that you've given us today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow, same time here, and then we will have our service tomorrow. Now I know that you guys... What, that food doesn't matter to you, only the word of God. So I, I, I just mentioned that there's also going to be a little food at 6.30, and you're invited, to, uh, we are encouraging you to bring something, because we are not a wealthy church. So um, talk to Renee if you can come and bring something that would be great. We'll be meeting at 6.30, and we'll be uh, fellowshipping together, and uh, fellowshipping and thanking God tomorrow night. We're going to have a chance where we can all thank God for something that he's done in our lives. And, and, and do what we're encouraged to do in the Bible. Uh, give thanks with a grateful heart. Okay? We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.